Andrew Wall and Matthew Fulton here with uh, with uh, me and I, Michael. Not sure if he's going to join us or not. We'll see. And uh, today's topic was going to be sales versus marketing. And um, we may wonk out a little bit in terms of like, you know, semantics here, but these are two concepts that sometimes when people mention sales or marketing, they're talking about the same thing. But most of the times when it gets down to brass tacks, it is very, very different. So I'll start with you, uh, Andrew. For you, what is the difference between sales and marketing, um, at least for your practice? Um, I, I think for me, it's really kind of a, a simple difference. Um, so marketing is brand awareness, uh, getting our name out, filling the top of the funnel. Uh, but sales is actually converting a opportunity or a lead into a client. So that's what sales is to me is taking that conversion of an opportunity to a paying client and marketing is generating all those opportunities. Okay, that's a quick, precise answer. Matthew, how about you? Do you have a different uh, approach to it? I mean, the in theory version of that, that's exactly right. So to best analogy I can pro provide is everything that I've been working towards right now, I'm consistently marketing, obviously, our company, but the app as well. I can market my app, which is to try to grab people's eyes, and my marketing is going to be through specific channels to try to get in front of my um, target audience or, you know, the, the user story, if you will, of who I think would use that application. So the marketing is all about that side of it and telling the story of it. The sales aspect of it, I think is, I like to call it the more personal aspect. So it's, it's connecting with the person, it's closing the deal, but the, it, it's the final portion. Marketing is part of sales. Maybe it's a good way to say. It. So marketing leads to the sale. That's what I would say. That's right. And, and I think even within, um, within the world of even marketing, people tend to uh, also confuse a couple of things. They tend to confuse the strategic part of marketing versus the tactics, which is like the specific promotion. Like when people think, well, marketing, it's advertising. Well, that's actually not true. Advertising is one of the... Uh, areas of marketing, one of the ways to execute a marketing strategy. And even within uh, the promotion world or the, ad or the advertising world, there are different types of, of tactics that, that work in different ways. But marketing, um, it is core for anybody watching this or, or listening to us. When they think about marketing for the professional services, they shouldn't be thinking about advertising. Advertising is one of the tactics and it usually comes at the very, very end, before you advertise, you have to take a one step back and say, okay, what exactly am I selling, right? That needs to be very well defined before you advertise it. And then you take it one step back, you know what you're selling, but who am I selling it to, okay? And then, then you, you define that. So now you know what you're selling, you know who you're selling it to. Then you're gonna take it one step back and say, well, now I know that I know those two things. What is the context in which the person that's gonna listen to or watch my advertising uh, it, it's that's going to be around the circumstances on how they're listening or watching that piece of promotion and what will prompt them to make a buying decision then or what will prompt them to uh, take that information, put it in the back of their head and make a buying decision later on. At that point, if your promotion is not to execute or close a sale right there and then, that would just be branding. And then if you're doing branding, it's a whole other world because branding is about people remembering you, not about people reacting to what you're saying. And then you take a one step back, one step back. So now that we know, you know, the brand and the person, I mean, the target market and the product, you take a one step back and then you think about strategy. And then when you're in strategy, you're, you're thinking really globally. You're thinking about, you know, where I want to go with this and where's my company going? How does my marketing strategy tie into my values and all that stuff? So that's why even within the world of marketing, it's, it's, there's, a, there's just a lot of layers to consider. And then the sales side is, so I think of marketing of everything that happens before we have the opportunity to make a sale. And I think of sale as everything that happens after 
your marketing was effective. So I, 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 there's basically the, that's the wall of separation. So when you get to the point where there's a salesperson involved or there's a sales process, at that point, you kind of stopped marketing and now you're starting selling. However, they do overlap in two ways. One is the salesperson has to follow through the promise of the marketing, right? So there can be a contradiction of the sales process with, with the marketing. So that's a really important thing. And also during the marketing or the promotion, the strategy, you also need to set the tone and get people thinking about what the sales process is going to be like. So when they are being sold to, uh, the, the marketing kind of set them up. Okay. Great example. I think one of the best examples is CarMax. Okay. I don't know if they have CarMax in Canada, Andrew, but um, CarMax is basically a used car dealer, nationwide used car dealer, where one of the main things is no haggling. The price is the price, right? So they market like that. All their advertising, tactically, you know, they actually say that. That's the messaging. And also as a, as a business, as a company, they price their cars based on how much you want to make on them and based on how much you know, margin they need in order to provide the service and guarantees or warranties or whatever it happens to be. And they price uh, based on, you know, the, the outcome that they want and they don't, they don't haggle. So their marketing itself sets the expectation of the sales process. And then the sales process goes hand in hand when a customer starts trying to haggle. Cause I, I've done that. I've gone to CarMax and try to haggle as well. When the sales process, I mean, when the customer starts, um, you know, trying to haggle with the salesperson, the salesperson will actually refer to their marketing and the core values that says, well, our business is all about transparency on pricing. And then they, that's where the two, the two things merge. So they are very different, but they're not uh, completely separated. Now I have, a, I have a question for you, Hector. What do you think is the differentiator between um, a firm starting out, a you know, mid-operation firm and an established firm as far as what they should be doing as far as marketing and advertising? Or should, they, should all three levels be doing the same thing? Repeat, repeat the question again. And, and, so, and what are the three levels? So a firm just starting out for the first time, so owner-managed business, um, you know, just getting into establishing their practice, a firm that's been around for, uh, it's called three to five years, and a firm that's 10 plus years in age, mature firm. Do you think they should be doing the same thing or, or should they be operating at different levels for sales and marketing? That, that's a really good question. So I'm gonna, I want to take a one step back and, and take away the conversation about what sales means and what marketing means. And I'm going to use a word that actually encompasses the entire process between strategy, marketing, and sales process which is positioning, okay? A brand new firm, they have the opportunity because they're starting from scratch to develop their position, right? They, 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 because they have, they have no bad habits. They have, no, uh, they have no, uh, no, no customers, no customer base. No history. No history, no mortgage, no employees. No a baggage. Brand, a, no baggage. A brand new business has the privilege of creating or building their positioning from scratch. And then we can get into like what the exercise looks like to build that. So let's park that for a second. And then let me answer the question about the firm that's been 10 years in the market. My firm has been 10 years in the market. So I've already, my firm has already been positioned. I've done all the work around position. So now we have the credibility and we know who our target market is and we are getting leads from the target market. What I do now is I don't develop, I don't develop my positioning anymore. I just keep feeding to it and I keep creating content around uh, that position to make sure that I stay relevant. And where I invest in marketing, it's really on the closing process and, and the standardization of the messaging, right? Because the, our, my positioning is right. And what I try now, my, the tough part is to get my entire team, eight people on the team, to speak as if they were the same human being or as if they were all one robot using the same messaging. So what I'm doing now is working on messaging, not working on tactical strategic positioning because I've already done that. But if you are a 10-year-old firm 
and you're not getting a whole bunch of leads from your target client that really want to work with you and you have a different problem, you don't have leads, then I think what you should be doing is working on your, on your positioning, not so much working on anything else. Yeah, I think that's, that's good stuff. And, you know, I, I think it's really interesting because I, I agree with you that I think that it evolves um, where you put your focus on uh, changes over the course of your business. And I think you're absolutely hit the nail on the head. It starts with that positioning and depending upon where you are with your positioning, you're going to put more time and energy into different uh, things. And as your positioning and your marketing uh, sort of you know, it's like a flywheel, right? It takes a lot of energy to get that flywheel going. But once it's going, it has the momentum to keep going. And now you transition into focusing on other areas uh, as that flywheel is spinning and the marketing is generating those leads and those opportunities. You now focus on making sure that we've got consistent messaging amongst employees. Um, start focusing on close ratios. So you're pulling those leads in. You know, what, what are your close ratios? What can you do to improve close ratios? So I think you hit the nail on the head for the different... Um, levels. And, and Matthew, what about yourself? What do you think about, you know, businesses, their different levels? And what are the things that you think most of the people in our community should be focusing on most? Branding, marketing, positioning, sales, all of it? So I, th I think if we really boil it down, um, Hector's response is spot on. It's phenomenal. As always, Hector. I mean, you've you've not, you've got a degree in marketing, if I remember correctly, right? Um, That's right. Good memory. I, I'm actually a marketer turned accountant. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I personally feel that regardless of the age of the business, you should still be marketing the same vision. Like maybe the way I heard it was different, but whether I'm brand new or I'm ten years old, I should still have the same vision, desire, goal that helps develop my marketing that I'm going to be pushing towards. Um, but I actually feel that one of the biggest challenges right now, um, probably because I guess I suffer from it as well, is the keywords, the terminology that we're using. People know the buzzwords, but the actions in which you take to make it actually happen are very, very difficult um, to put them into place and actually do it. So to figure out how do I want to position myself? Um, well, I don't want to position myself as the cheapest person in town, but I don't want to position myself as the most expensive. Position isn't only about price. Position can be about a lot of different things. It goes towards niche. It goes towards a lot of different aspects. But it, for people that are not familiar with marketing, it's that analysis paralysis of being afraid to make the wrong decision and messing it up. Um, so actually I want to kind of re redirect the question back over to you, Hector, of if you had to kind of lay out simple steps towards helping choose one first positioning, like out of all of the hot words, what's the first one they do? If we had to do a checklist in order, is it positioning the company? Is it figuring out your company's message, your branding, so forth? Which one do you think is? Step number one. Well, yeah, they, they all go hand in hand. So, well, you want me to give you a marketing lesson in under an hour? I could do that. Um, so, the, the first, so the first thing I would say is once you pick the name of your business, or let's say you have the name of your business, then start growing from there. So if the name of your business is your name, right, if it's called Hector Garcia Services or Garcia Services, you probably want to leverage the person a lot. So maybe your branding and your marketing, it's around how great the leader or the creator or the owner or the, or the do-it-all, the one person that wears all is and will be because your business bears your name. If your business bears a more of a corporate name, like Friday Night Accounting Solutions, right? Whatever it happens to be. Then maybe you want to leverage, use, use a lot of the we. You know, we do this, we do that. Because it's, it's more of an organization, more of a brand. So that would be like kind of like the real basic one. And I'll tell you because I have personal experience with this because my YouTube channel has my name. And that's actually my biggest marketing uh, lead source. But my business doesn't have my name. So people call my office asking for me, but I'm one of eight. So there's like a 15% chance they can get with me and then people get very confused. So I would tell you if I could go back in time, I would definitely change that. I mean, I never pictured 
my business getting big enough that I wouldn't be touching every deal. You know, I used to love touching every deal. Now, now I just can't. So that'll be the first thing, you know, make sure that if you have a corporate name or if, you're, if your name is, is yourself, you may want to brand the value of the company as an organization or the owner or the professional based on the name. I would say that would be the most fundamental thing. The second fundamental thing is to have a values or a belief system. Okay. And the reason why I think this is fundamental is because this is easy. You don't have to think about this, right? You as a human being, as a leader of the business, or if it's a small organization, maybe two, two people, three people, four people, you want to get together and figure out what are our values that we have in common and have a belief system in common that, that creates basically the, you know, the what would Jesus do mentality on everything, single thing you do, because everything will point to those uh, values that your, that your business or yourself as a professional believe in. Because you need to have a north, uh, sort of a mor- moral compass, and the business moral compass would be those initial values or that belief system. Uh, that could be called the, the creed. Actually, um, um, I'm, I'm going to use uh, the framework from a book called uh, Primal Branding uh, from Patrick Halen. And he's got a really good framework, so I'm actually kind of following, following it. So uh, the step number one would be, it's called your story, your creation story. So why was your business created? What's the background of the people that created it? You know, what drove them to create it? And then the, the belief system or the creed system to kind of set up, you know, what, what is the experience of working with these people like? What are the values and all that stuff? Then the second thing would be, I mean, the third thing would be your icon, right? So we said, you know, first, your, your creation story. You know, who runs a business? Uh, why they run the business, what's the background, and, and then the belief system, which is a creed. The third is the icon. In some cases, in most cases, our icon is our face, right? That's how people know they're dealing with us, right? But if you do a lot of web content or, or, or audio content or podcasts, your icon will be your voice, okay? And that's actually a really important thing because when I, get on the, when I answer the phone and I say, thank you for calling Quick Bookkeeping, I don't say my name, people automatically go, whoa, it's Hector, because I recognize my voice. So the voice is one of my icons, right? Because the content that I create has my voice. It's video, it's podcast. If the content you're creating or the way that people find you is going to be writing, right, then the icon would be, in this case, the form of writing or the style of writing or your company logo that you attach to the content of your writing. So you have to identify your icon. Easiest thing to think about icon would be your logo, but I think most important would be you wear it, okay? You wear it. And, and, and if you're in America, by the way, and you own your own business, you better get every one of your shirts branded because it makes all your wardrobe tax deductible, right? The minute you put your logo on a shirt, the entire wardrobe is uh, tax deductible, the one that has the logo. So I hang out with my shirt. I, I use it to go to the gym, which is twice a year. Um, I, uh, I, uh, I used it to go to the supermarket and people ask me about my business. Hey, are you dealing with QuickBooks, stuff like that? And I, I pick up customers all the time just by casual conversation because I wear my logo all the time. That's your icon. So I'm still, I'm, I'm just telling you the like cheap, easy stuff, the stuff that you can get up and running right away. So that's three. Four is called the rituals. The rituals is what you, what you do that's observable that people see it as a brand. So, um, of course, if you do videos where you show people how to do things, that's, one, that, that's a ritual, right? Yeah. If you write your opinion about certain things of, of your target industry or you write your opinion every Monday about some topic in accounting, if you, if you create a system in which you're letting people know that you have this discipline around a specific ritual, that ritual becomes part of your brand. It becomes part of your positioning. Uh, what do you say to the customers every time you say hello to them? It's a ritual, right? When people call your office and like one of my employees likes to say, how can I put a smile on your face today? That's, that's a ritual. And then, and then most people answer, you already did. You know, and, then, and then when they call the second time, they want to hear that. And if they don't hear, something's wrong. So what the ritual is the observable thing that you do all the time that people say, huh, that's, that's the type of experience that I, that I expect to have when I work with this person. And of course, you know, putting two, two videos a week in YouTube 
it's my ritual. But there's other other there's all sorts of different uh, rituals. Uh, you have any questions at this point? Yeah, you wanna you wanna start real quickly before you go on because you've just actually provided a lot of phenomenal information. I need to ask you. I want to get some people that are watching some feedback from them. So. Real quickly, do you mind kind of doing, you said you've given us a couple so far, one and then the title. So what was the first one, what was the first one again? Yeah, the first one was the creation story, but okay. I, I, but I kind of mixed that in with just, you know, what's your identity? Like, are you, are you a person or comp- company? Is the creation story, what led you to the point of starting your business? And so everybody that's watching right now, if the number one, that creation story, if you found that is something that you're doing well, do me a favor, put a number one in the comments, a so hashtag number one, hashtag creation story, whatever. Let us know that that's valued. What was number two? Number two was your creed, which is your values or your belief system. So same thing. Number two, if, if uh, more like tell us, are you, do you feel you have a comfortable understanding of creed? Um, we want to know if you are looking for more help on number two, or if you think you have a good understanding of it. Number okay. three, the three is your the icons, which is the you know what your business looks like or what your business uh, feels like, what your business sounds like. Beautiful. So, and then your number four rituals. These are the observable actions that give people a preview or an expectation what the experience is to work with you. All right. Thank you. Um, again, so much really, really good information. I just want to make sure that everybody got a chance to kind of summarize off of all of those too. So didn't mean to interrupt, but it's good information. I mean, right. Well, it's, it's great information. And Hector, you've dealt with a lot of small businesses over the years and a lot of other accountants in the industry. Where do you think most people in, in your experience, where do you think they need the most help? I think most people need help on, on a portion of positioning which is to put your stake on the ground, stand for something, which, because when you stand for something, that means you stand against many things. So when someone says, I am, I'm here to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build the kitchen sinks for the largest uh, homes in South Florida, right? And, that, and you build your business around that, that, that creed and that niche. And then where people really screw up is when someone has a small house or needs something else for the kitchen and it's sort of tangential. And they say, well, I, I want to grow my business. I want to take on the revenue. And they kind of get derailed. So I think where people need the most help is building the discipline to stay in their focus. Like to, to, I think it's just focus. Like people get, people fear losing revenue so and they get out of focus and the long-term cost of that it's higher than the short-term gain of taking on that revenue that takes you out of focus that's where people need the most help and that's that cliche if you stand for everything you stand for nothing right that's right right correct so exactly. what do you what do you think holds people back from doing that? You think it's just the 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 fear, the need to to get that sales in? Is it really that simple? Is it is it just revenue focused? What about those firms that are now established and they they're they've been doing this for a couple of years, but they're still generalists? What's yeah. holding them back? You know, um, I think that it's counterintuitive to think that if you narrow your customer base to ten percent of what you had fathomed before, um, that somehow that's better. <laughs> you know, uh, most folks, when they think of, uh, m- most folks, when they think of, when they think of like a niche or a specialty, they think of two potential problems, narrow market and boredom, right? So in, in order to be excited, excited about what they do every day, they take every job, because any new job is a challenge because it's a new frontier each time. Um, so that's, I, think, I think that's one of them. It's our desire to learn new things. And trust me, I spent the first five years of my business taking everything, right? And, and the other one is, um, I think it's just a lack of discipline. It's, it's just, people just don't believe it. They don't believe that if you hold out for a month or two or three and wait for the right client, 
the right client will be three times as profitable as all the other random jobs you took along the way. And in the, the short term of I have to pay my mortgage, I have to pay my employees, the short term pressures of cash flow leads people to get out of focus. So the folks that start a business with $100,000 in the bank to say, I'm going to stand for my niche or my market or, or do only what I want to do, focus on, the, on these type of customers and have some cash flow to hold out, those are the ones that are most successful. The problem is the ones that start their business and need to pay their mortgage with their first deal. And that's, those are the ones that just, they stay generalist forever because they can never, they can never get their, they can never get it back unless they kind of like shut it down and start over. Yeah, I think it's well said. I, I think it's a little bit um, unfortunate though that, that, that there's that concept that if you've gone down that road, I hope that, that there's hope for those people who are generalists that they can still um, flip the switch. Cause I know we, we've been, you know, niche uh, for close to 30 years. My dad started to practice very tightly focused on independent consultants. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that by focusing and narrowing that focus down, it, it, you're absolutely right. It increases profitability. Um, it improves sales because, you know, when you're focused on a niche, everyone in that niche knows each other and talks and communicates and starts helping to build that brand awareness and that marketing for you without you having to spend a dollar, um, just because you are that specialist in that industry. Um, what do you think people could do if they are generalists now to help take that first step towards picking a, picking a niche or picking a niche, as you guys call it? Yeah, if, How do you if, identify your niche? If, if you don't mind, let me finish the seven uh, primal codes from the primal branding book, just because it contains a little bit of that, of that answer in there. So the, we, we left off a rituals, which is number four rituals. Number five is uh, what he calls sacred words, which is language. And the language that you utilize will probably define your target client or your business. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Like telling folks, I don't have clients, I have customers. Just saying that and shutting up and waiting for the reaction, it's going to give you a branding element because for some folks the word client has one connotation and the word customer has a different connotation that's been a tough one for me I've already changed it in my mind when I say client it's just a bad habit my clients are my customers not my clients and I've I made it a point uh, to do that and some of my customers are like, what do you mean what what do you mean I'm not your client I'm your customer and then I explain the, the why and then they say Absolutely. I get it. And they get even more excited about being my customer, not my client. Um, so, so that's one of the things. Uh, another example is I've, I've, I've taken a I've changed a couple of words in my, in my language that define my business and define how we work. For example, the word complex and the word complicated, I've removed it from my language. Okay. I, the, 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 the world that I live in, which is inventory management, it's, it's hard to find the word that describes how intricate is the interaction of getting a consultant involved to go in a warehouse, wearing jeans. By the way, this is one of my, my creed. I wear jeans. I go to jobs in, in jeans because I'm always ready to bend down in a, in a warehouse and pull crap from the back of the warehouse because I make a really big deal about uh, inventory control. I'm super anal about that. So anyway, so, um, so, the, the, so when people say, can we implement a uh, you know, barcoding system? Which most people say, yes, but it's complicated. Or yes, but it's, but it's complex. Because you're trying to tell the client, by the way, don't ask me about this if you don't have a big enough budget or the patience, right? Because that's really what you're trying to tell people, right? That it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you some money and it's going to take some time when we say the word complicated or complex. Instead, I've changed, I changed those words for two things. One is I say the word involved and the word discipline. So I'd say two things. I say implementing a barcode scanner is going to be highly involved, right? Both you and I are going to be highly involved in this project. And two, it's going to take a lot of discipline to change processes. I replace the word complex and complicated with that because complex and complicated gives people the, the, the gives some people 
the the impression that maybe you don't know what you're doing or it may be complicated for you. If, so if I say, if I tell someone it's complicated or complex, I'm, I'm normally trying to say it's going to be complex for you, not for me. I do this for a living. But the minute you say it, it's coming out of your mouth. If you say something's complex, how, how, how are they going to feel about it? So I say the word involved or discipline. So the, 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 the language that you use is very, language is very transformative and it does become, it does become part of your brand and people remember you for that. I know the word that, I, that I'm using a lot and I'm trying to use as much as possible is the word vacation, right? I just like, I want, I want my customers when they think of the word vacation to think about me. I know that's kind of weird. It's a kind of a stretch, um, but, but I truly believe that not many consultants out there ever worry about their clients taking a vacation. They worry about their clients making more money and being more profitable. And it's all, it's all about money and profitability, right? In our world, it's all about money and profitability, right? When somebody says, why should I hire you, right? What is everybody's reaction? Well, I'll make you more money or I'll save you some money or you can be more profitable or you will be more profitable, right? Or I, or I will take away what most accountants say, especially the smart ones. I'll take away all the stuff that you don't care about so you can focus on what you love, which is, you know, making sales and making money, Right. It, it's, it's, a good, it's a good sales pitch, but my sales pitch is my goal is for you to take more vacations. And the minute you say a word that nobody else uses, it becomes yours. Like people start connecting them. And it's gotten to a point that some of my customers actually tell me about their vacations. Like when I meet, I sit down with them, right, to do their annual review and say, hey, by the way, I just booked my vacation in September to Spain or whatever. And, and they tell me 10 minutes about the whole plan. And it's so irrelevant. I don't even need to hear about their vacation. But the fact that they're telling me that means that it's working, means that it's sticking. And I want people to do that because most people, vacation is a positive thing. Even making money is not always a positive thing, right? But vacation is always a positive thing. So the language that you use that ties to your belief system and you use it on your website, use it in, in your messaging, it's, it's, it becomes part of your brand. Okay, so that's, that was five language or uh, sacred words, what he calls it. The six is, um, is uh, Andrew's favorite, which is called the non-believers or the haters, which is if you are, if you're doing it right, if you're doing positioning and branding right, you have a bunch of haters. You're going to have a bunch of non-believers. It's, it's part of it. It's how it works. Okay. I'm, I'm going to think of someone that is extremely uh, famous and popular and successful that probably has more non-believers or haters than fans, Kim Kardashian, right? Think about that, right? Kim Kardashian is one of those, I'll, I'll, I'll make it even better, Donald Trump, right? It is, it's just one of those things that you will have one group of people that love you because you have a group of people that hate you. Because so, sometimes it is just the fact that you have haters that make people attract to you. It, it's something weird. And I'm not a psychologist, but something strange about having haters that makes a certain group of people want to like you. And this happened, by the way, with Apple and Microsoft, right? This happened with Apple and Microsoft. You know, I would say before Apple was the monster that it is, Apple had haters and the haters galvanized the apple users and apple users and, and pc users were almost like alien i mean they, they you know they would they would think in different ways and, and 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 for a while that almost took apple down but that core use base actually brought apple back up right because they had the, they had the courage and the discipline to keep going to not cave in so those are the the, the non-believers or the haters however you want to you want to call it and look in american politics it works really really well i mean it's very it's very rare that you see someone that's that would say i'm a republican but i but i'm cool with democrats you know or the other way it does, in america it doesn't work like this right if you call yourself a republican you probably hate everything about democrats or vice versa and the and politics created this brand right the the, the parties did this on purpose Right? They created polarizing. That's why none of the centrist parties or no third party ever becomes popular because the parties applied branding 
to do this, right? Um, if you're not with me, you're against me type of thing. So anyway, without getting into too much into politics, but that's the branding element of it. And then the seventh element of uh, the, the Primal Branding book is the leader, right? There, there, has, to be, there has to be a leader um, and, and it, could be a, it, could be, it could actually be a real person or it could be a fictitious person. It actually works both ways. Um, in the case of Apple, Steve Jobs is still the silent leader of Apple. And, 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 and Steve Jobs created a, a tail legacy where some people still kind of lead, kind of lead Steve Jobs through what the, the new leaders took over from, from, uh, from Steve Jobs after he passed. But the, the leader is the one that has the vision and the leader is the one that can shift and the leader is the one that says, we failed, let's go in a different direction. And people need to believe on the leader. They need to believe it with their heart, not with their mind, not with reason, not with logic. They need to believe it from the heart. And, the, and, and you know, you know the, the book, Start With The Why, the very famous uh, book, Start With The Why by Simon Sinek, and his follow-up to that, which is called uh, why, Eater, why Leaders uh, Eat Last. And it all talks about the concept of getting people to follow you because uh, instinctively, because they feel like they connect with you, not because of logic or reason. So that's the most, that's the seventh one. And that's it. Those are the seven, what they call the primal codes of primal branding. So your question, Andrew, was how, how does someone get started? I would, say, I would say at the very least, consider those seven. Make sure that you have the capacity to write down what those seven components are in your business. If you can write them down in a Word document, that means you can follow up and write it and put them in your website. And if you can write it down in a Word document and put them in your website, that means you can discuss it. When people say, why should I hire you? One of these seven things will come into play. Either your secret words, your language, either your creed, your belief system, your brand, your creation uh, structure, the fact that you have lovers and haters, um, you know, your, your leadership, what you've done for the community or for you. you. One of these seven things will come into fruition. And if you do it right, all seven put together will then be, be turned down into what we call the one-liner. And the one-liner is how can you, in one line, say everything in one line. So when people say, what do you do? And you, instead of saying, I'm an accountant, you say your one-liner, which is what, what it's called the unique positioning statement. The unique positioning statement is how you describe what you do in a single line that encompasses all the elements of your brand. I'd like to, so, and as you're trying to get through dissecting all of that information, if you're, as you're trying to get through the process, I think for me, it would take a long time to be able to truly fully feel confident. I understand all seven of them. Um, one way that I might suggest that people can get started, it goes back to the, the good old concept of fake it till you make it. Or you can buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, start off. If you're, you know, let's say you're trying to figure out what your, your niche is going to be or what you, how you've got an idea of which way you want to go. Create a landing page specific to that. You don't have to redo your entire website, create a landing page for the, the niche that you're looking for. You need to understand the stuff that Hector has been helping to everybody to understand. But if you can utilize that, you can test out to see what kind of traction you can get off of it. And what kind of, you know, if you can fill out that landing page pretty easily, you're probably picking a pretty good niche for yourself. If it's going to be like pulling teeth to try to figure out content to put on there, like, you know, what's the industry? What's the hot, what are the pain points you're trying to get go against? Um, the imagery, it, you don't have to be able to create it yourself, but if you can actually discuss it to somebody else and say, these are the things I'm looking for. I want to get into, I, I spent 14 years in car audio. So if I wanted to do a landing page focused on car audio, home audio, I would be able to say, these businesses are looking at pain points that have to do with their inventory for their discounts. They're dealing with turnover employees. Um, they're looking at the labor costs, tracking the efficiency. Uh, they're looking at the costs racing to zero. Like there's so many things just boom, 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 that 
you'll find that niche because you're going to fill up the site or at least give this stuff to a person. And a landing page can be done quickly and efficiently. And it's a very cost efficient way to make a simple mistake and move on to something else. And we, we do have like maybe like 50 minutes left. So we don't go over the hour. Um, Andrew, you maybe make your point and then let's shift over to sales. Cause yeah. I, we talked about that was like the marketing and branding part, but I want to talk about sales process a little bit. Sorry, Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll be brief as brief as I can be. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think you're both absolutely right. Um, hopefully Hector, I can convince you to, to take up that book and, and be one of my hosts on book club uh, for that book. Um, but I also think Matthew's right too, because sometimes we get caught in analysis paralysis and like I'm, an avid reader, I read a lot. Of, I read a, a lot of books, and sometimes, like these ideas are so great, I don't necessarily have all the time to start putting together all seven steps. Um, but I'm a big believer in just getting out there and starting with something, even if it's not, even if you haven't executed on all seven steps and you don't have everything perfect. Just get out there and start marketing something, you know, um, and and coming up with an approach. And and one of the things I know we didn't really talk much about was the actual processes people can use, like. What are the tools they can use, whether that's social media, whether that's drip marketing, whether it's lead magnets. Um, and maybe that's a whole topic for another day, things that they can be using for, for sales and marketing. Because I think we talked about how you build that, that positioning, but we didn't talk about, okay, now if you've got the positioning, how do we actually start marketing? Um, so I think we need a whole nother session on, on actual marketing techniques. Um, but you're right. Let's, we, we need to spend some time on sales. So, so Hector, why don't I turn it back to you and you can, break down what sales means to you um, and how people can get started on doing something today to improve their sales. Okay. So there's two ways, there's two ways to look at sales. So we have sales from the perspective that you're a salesperson and your job is to convince the person to buy something, right? That's a traditional, like if I say the word salesperson, let me, let me just, let's start with this exercise. If I say the word salesperson, what, what words come to mind? What, what traits come to car. mind? Car. Right. Car salesman. Right. But what, what is it about a car salesman? Well, I mean, or insurance salesman or anything like that. Negative connotations typically surround high pressure, high tactic, push motivation sales. I know that's not the only type of sales, and I know that's why you bring it up. But that, that, that's exactly what I'm and, – and, and Matthew, what about you? When you hear salesperson or typical salesperson, what traits do you think of right away? Mission. Commission-based. Somebody who's commission-based means that they have the power to negotiate and they can make more money off of me or less money off of me. Correct. Now, if I say professional salesperson, do different words come to, the different words come to mind? Zig Ziglar. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, Professional salesperson sounds like you're putting the you know icing on top of the cake. It sounds like a euphemism, and I still think of, I think a professional salesperson probably goes by a different name. Yeah. Um, but it's still put the name professional from it doesn't change the fact. It means they're better at earning their commission. All right, let's take it one step further. What about sales engineer? What does the word sales engineer sound to you? What does that mean to you? To me, it means they're engineering or manipulating the sale. I actually like it better. Right. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you how it works on, on larger kind of like big company, big, big business to business. They have a relationship manager, which is typically the salesperson. And then they have the sales engineer, which is sort of a mixture between the technician and the salesperson. And the sales engineer typically is the one that puts the technical aspects of, of it together. This is what we use now. I right? would use sales engineer. Now that's what we use now. What if I take it one step further? And I, I, I kind of like sales engineer, but we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do one more, which is what about recommender? I like that the best. Right, right, right. Recommender. Why 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 do you like recommender? Because it doesn't sound pushy. It sounds like someone who's trying to add value and make a recommendation to improve whatever it is you are doing or need to help with. Matthew. Um. In order. So recommender is, you nailed it. It's somebody who is providing a recommendation, somebody who's gone through it and has understanding experience to it. Sales engineer is, you know, the next one in line that now there's that trust word. Like I trust this person because they engineered this process. They like 
they understand it inside and out. Like they get it. They're, they know me, right? Okay. And then you have the professional salesperson. Sounds like the sales manager, but they're they're a they're still a salesperson with the suit and the tie on, right? They are the higher level, higher echelon salesperson making lots of money. And then a salesperson is anybody can be a salesperson. Doesn't mean they're successful. Maybe right. professional means they become right. successful. Right. So without getting into semantics, all of us, all of us, when a, a customer calls and says, "Hey, I need a new accountant." How much do you charge? What can you do for me? All of us at that point are quote unquote a salesperson. The, the point is, do you want to be a salesperson or do you want to be a recommender? And, 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 and by the way, you are a salesperson, but a salesperson is the person that earns the right to make a recommendation. And by the way, your recommendation is whether or not it's a good fit for people to work with you. So it's funny. The way good, what good marketing and positioning does is put the customer in the position that when they talk to you, they, are, they want the recommendation if it makes sense to work with you. And that is really the only effective way to approach uh, sales. But the only way to do this is if you have really strong marketing. So, so when you pigeonhole yourself in a specialty whether it's a vertical or a horizontal or, or, or what I call the vertex. It's kind of like my made-up word, you know, where the, the, the vertical would be like the industry and the horizontal would be like the solution. So that if the industry is dentistry and the solution is, um, you know, accounting for expansion, right, because you're, you're buying a second office and, you're, and you, you specialize on expanding dentists, right? You go with vertical and horizontal, right? They are that vertex your market's going to be very, very narrow now. But since you're not entertaining anything else, you're not trying to sell anything to anyone else. The few that call you are shoe-ins, right? Because they called you because you are the absolute uh, master at it or because you portray yourself as that. So when they call you, they're not saying, sell me your services. They're like, oh God, can I please work with you because no one else does what you do. So when they call you, it's a, different, it's a different conversation. The conversation is, do you recommend that I give you money so you can, do my work, you can do the work for me? And that's how every one of my leads call me. None of my clients say, sell me on your services. They say, does it make sense for us to work together? Because I've already made up my mind that I want to work with you. And your branding and your positioning and your content marketing, we didn't talk about the tactics, but you know, you have to write content, you have to write a book, you have to create videos, you have to have a podcast. This is the new standard, okay? You have to do this. And, and, and once you've done this, and again, your, your market is narrow, those folks are ready to go because they can talk to another accountant down the corner that can do it all because they're generalists, but they have to say, convince me that you're going to do it right, right? You know, turn your sales person hat on and convince me you're going to do it right. Whereas they talk to specialists, who's probably going to be double the cost. And they, because you're a specialist, people assume that you're going to do it right. Now they're just trying to figure out if it makes sense to hire a specialist. So if you do your marketing right, you don't have to be a salesperson. You'll simply be a recommender. And if you stand by your positioning, if you hold your ground on positioning, you, on top of that, will probably say no more often than you say yes, even with the smaller market. Because your customers are not that good at self-selecting themselves out. They, they're, they're just, they're, they're not. Um, so you still will get a couple of people that will be outside of your sweet spot. And you have to have the courage to say no. And by the way, when you say no to a customer, they want to work with you even, even more. Because there's something weird about the way rejection works, you know. Um, and, and that's okay. And, 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 and by the way, most people you say no to, and you have a sound reason why you say no, saying, I'm sorry, I don't do your industry I only do this, this, and that, this type of customer. The people you say no to actually recommend your business because people for, remember rejections. Think about every time you've been rejected. Let's go back to our college days, our high school days, right? You remember those rejections. There's something that happens in your heart in terms of like the way you feel and you get nervous and stuff where you actually remember that moment. And when you reject someone because they're not in your sweet spot and you say, sorry, I would love to work with you. This is my sweet spot. You know, I got these three other colleagues that I can, that I can send your way that may work better. 
those people recommend you because they'll remember when they run into that weird niche market that you have, they're like, you know what? I have this guy that's great. I couldn't work with him because he's not, he doesn't do what, you know, my industry, but it sounds to me that this would be a good fit for you. So you randomly get recommendations from people that you never worked with before because you rejected them. And that's part of your positioning. You have to have the courage to stand for something and at the same time stand against everything else. That's not the thing that you stand for. So again, um, and, and there's some things about the sales process and we could, we, we could probably expand on tactics around sales process. But in my opinion, if you're spending too much time proving to people that you're going to do it right, you're doing it wrong. Now, I'll give you a shortcut for the people that have no positioning. So if you're listening to this and you don't have the positioning that I do and you still have to, you still have to sell it, my recommendation is you lead with we, we guarantee our work. We have a value guarantee. And, and you say simple things like, if you don't get a multiple of your investment from our work, literally call me or email me. I will give you your money back. Just promise me that you will tell me in detail what I need to do to, to, do, to do it better. And you got to put your money where your mouth is and you have to do it. You got to lead with a refund. You have to. It is the single, because most people, most people's anxiety around hiring a professional, it's, will they do it right? Will I waste my money? Will I waste my time? And when they deal with Walmart or Target or Amazon, they don't even care. Like how, many crap, how much crap I bought in Amazon saying I'll buy it if it doesn't work, I send it back. So all that anxiety around, you know, will I waste my money? Will I waste my time? Uh, doesn't exist with Target, Walmart or Amazon. They're, they're monsters. Professionals tend not to do that. Why? Because when the minute the customer pays them, that check goes to pay their mortgage, right? They live with the client's money basically the minute they get paid. And that's probably another, one of the things that holds people back from following through their promises, right? Especially refunds. So I think that the, the strongest way to market yourself is, dude, it doesn't matter you know, if, it, if, if it gets done wrong. If it gets done wrong, you will get your money back and at least one dimension of the anxiety goes away. So, that's a, so if you have zero positioning, you start the conversation with that. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on that. Um, on which thing? On the lead with the guarantee. So there's a lead with the guarantee of quality of service. Absolutely. I mean, we all should talk about the fact we stand behind the quality of the work we do. But the idea that it's lead with the quality of guarantee of service or here's your money back. It was never about somebody getting their money back. And I know, and I understand that probably where you're going with this is when it comes down to it, they won't actually ask for the money let, back. Let, 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 me, let me qualify it. For those conversations that come from people that called you because they saw you in Google or because a friend said, here's an accountant, and they have no context in terms of what your specialty is. And the first minute of the conversation they talk about price all the time, but how much, but how much, but how much, right? So Matthew, if your conversation, it's already talking about, it's your, if your conversation starts consultative, where people say, hey, can I explain to you my problem? And can we walk through, you know, what this is going to look like at the end? And can we talk about my desired future state? And, you know, can we walk through all the possibilities to see if it's a good fit? Like if the conversation is going in that direction, it makes no sense to talk about refunds. What I'm saying is for those that want you to say an hourly rate up front or want to know a price before they move forward, and it makes it very difficult to transition into, wait, I don't want to tell you the price. I want to be a salesman. I want to take you through this process and then tell you the price at the end because that's how people feel about salespeople, right? When, when they're not, they don't tell you the price up front, they're hiding something and they just they, 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 they want to weaponize the conversation against me to then, to then shaft me at the end. That's what most people think, really, um, when, when you don't give an answer to a price up front. So, so one of the easy transitions to that is, hey, you know, let's talk about price once we understand the, the, the outcomes. Just so you know, the way we work, our standard operating procedure is we give value guarantees. And at the end of the work, if, at the end of the day, if I don't give you a multiple of what you paid for, you can, you can request your money back. So is it okay for us to talk about price after we understand what you want? So I can guarantee that result. And people say, sure. So I, I wasn't saying, Matthew, that 
you should always leave with that because that also sounds kind of gimmicky, right? Um, I'm saying for the folks that are, are hard and like, give me a price, give me a rate, give me a price, and you're trying to make that transition. Sorry, go ahead. If you were going to uh-huh. finish your point. Well, so no, it was, it was good clarification because this takes back to one of your seven topics about language and the power of language and the way that you, you discuss with somebody. Um, the, my concern specifically had to do with like people that were just getting started out. Like when we all were just getting started, we were trying to take anybody and everybody and we were concerned about the price and we wanted to bend over and do as much as we possibly can for as little as possible. And then if we top that off with, oh, and if you're not happy, we'll give you your money back. I will share a very fast version of a story of a person that had been a client of mine for 15 years through three different businesses. And it was when I was first getting started with Parkway and bent over backwards trying to help this person out. Did a lot of off-the-clock training, did all these things, my own mistake onto it. And when it came to at the end of the year, this client had stayed with their CPA who was doing the bookkeeping before. And we still, we were silly and we actually accepted the bookkeeping. That CPA tried to tear apart our work and said we did a whole bunch of stuff incorrectly. Now, I thought we were working on the relationship and value add and all these things to where when they stuck us with a bill saying that the CPA had to spend an extra two hours of time and they stuck us with the bill, I immediately was like, you got to be kidding me here. I've done X number of hours in my head thinking how many extra hours I've done, no charging, everything else. Still, first response was, tell you what, while I don't quite understand this and the, the information doesn't seem right, let's split it three ways. You're valued to me. You're important. Let's take care of these things. The point of the story is sometimes there are people that are out there that will, will de- they will take advantage of that. And for some reason, our industry, especially accountants and bookkeepers, we are plagued with people that have issues with self-confidence and self-worth. So I just want to make sure that anybody who's listening to this, there, there is a time and a place to that. Hector, you absolutely can do that because you have the strength and the knowledge to do so. Um, but when you're just getting started out, please be, be cautious, people. I actually would recommend somewhat of a different strategy. If people start off combative about pricing, rec- you need to try to recognize your own worth and realize it will not get better. So if you can't diffuse it to some extent, then walk away because it's not going to be worth it because the time and energy you will spend on that, you probably could have found two other clients because like you said, there's more of them out there. And one last thing I'll say, and I'll let, let Andrew kind of wrap it up because we kind of monopolize the conversation here is I used to get offended when people were asking about price or asking for negotiation. It used to be like me, you know, you're asking me for a discount. And, you know, and I've, I've, I've evolved from that because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm building out remodeling my house and I, and I haggle at everything, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm a good customer. I know for a fact, I'm a good customer. I pay on time. I'm clear about the goals. I'm flexible. I help the contractors along the way. I take care of business. I know I'm a good customer, but I negotiate and, 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 I'm, and, I'm, and I'm looking for the best deal. And you know what? You can't blame your customers for doing so. A lot of people, because a lot, in a lot of our chats, you know, you, you, people start you know, saying, hey, this is my case. And they say, oh, drop them. They're not worth it. They're right away saying, oh, they're com- they don't see your value. Drop them. Well, you know, if they don't see your value, then it's your problem. You got a marketing problem. You got a positioning problem. You got a branding problem. Right? Getting offended because my customer doesn't see my value. It's not the customer's fault. It's your fault. You got shitty ass branding. Okay. So you're, you want your customer to see your value? Sh- show it to them. Give them the, give them the capacity to see it. They can't see it if they haven't worked with you before. They can't see it if they don't see, they can't see into the future. You know what you've done before. They don't. So if you don't have writing, you don't have content, you don't have videos, you don't have podcasts, if you don't, if, or, you, or spend three hours in a consultation proving yourself or, or, or a bunch of direct referrals, if you don't have any of that, then don't get offended that people are haggling. People are usually not haggling because of price. They're haggling because they figure that if I can get it for cheaper and they screw up, at least I feel I didn't get the full shaft. I got, only got half shaft, right? And, and, and folks want to mitigate that risk by paying a lower price. I mean, it's all price and risk, right? So um, just wanted to answer that, Matthew. 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll take a stab at wrapping up here. I think we, we went through a lot of really good stuff here. Um, so what, what was the name of that book you let off with, Hector? Oh, it's called Primal Branding. Primal Branding. So it's a good read for everyone. We'll add it to the list in book club. Um, you know, we talked about marketing versus sales. Um, we talked about the importance of both. And I think that, you know, it really is important to go through that whole positioning thing. But as, as Matthew said, the most important thing is that to actually get out there and start doing some marketing. Because I think when you fill that funnel, when you get those leads, it gives you the confidence uh, to start turning away those clients that aren't in that niche. When you've got a full funnel of a lot of leads coming, you have a lot more confidence to be able to say no to people. And I know we also heard a lot of people, you know, were very responsive to this whole idea that, you know, they don't want to be that high pressure, high tactic sales. Everyone wants to be that recommender rather than the, you know, sales engineer or whatever we want to call it or sales professional. Um, because we don't like to be pushy as accountants. I think we, we like to be people who are recommending great solutions for our clients and to do it in a non-pushy um, way. And I think that if you're doing a good job on your marketing, and as you know, Hector has pointed out, getting out there and getting people aware of what you're doing and positioning yourself and doing the right branding is going to give you all those leads so that you have the confidence that if someone, you know, isn't a right fit for you, you can turn them down because you've got a hundred other people coming in the next day who want to meet with you, who want to sign up with you. And I think that that really is critical. Now I'm going to disagree with Hector on one thing about this whole, um, you know, um, pricing debate and how it's your job as the accountant to make sure that they get your value. And I think you're right. You, you have a job to make sure that people understand what it is that you're doing and the value in your positioning. But I think there's crappy clients out there. We, I've been in this business long enough to know that there are shitty clients out there that there is absolutely nothing you can do, no matter what kind of marketing you do that you're going to convince these people of your value. And you need to be able to identify who those crappy clients are. And sometimes, you know what, you might turn away someone who could have potentially been a good client, but you, you have to get the most out of your time. And you have to have a way of identifying those people and figuring out what are the triggers for these people who are going to be those disaster clients down the road that are going to try and stick you with a bill for the extra time that their accountant spent despite you spending hours to help them and coach them because we've all been through that I mean the forums are full of people who have had disaster relationships with clients who they've gone above and beyond who they've bent over backwards to try and help and the problem is when you do that when you bend over backwards to help these people who don't appreciate it you suck the life out of your business because your clients who do value you aren't getting your time and instead you're focusing it on the people who don't value you and who are just trying to get the most out of it that they can. And some people are like that. Some people are just trying to see, you know, what's the most I can squeeze out of this guy and get the most out of it for me. And other people, you know, they want to see that balanced value. They're not trying to be, you know, get the most and squeeze you and try to get stuff for free. You know, there's people who are, who are trying to get stuff given to them for free all the time. And there's people who are more than happy to pay the value of the services that they're getting. And it's important to be able to have ways to identify who they are and get rid of, cut those volatile people, get rid of that, those clients. And, and better than that, not even get rid of them, never engage with them. And like you said, when, when we're talking about niches, as important as turning down people who aren't in your niche, turning down people who are in your niche but are just crappy fucking clients, pardon my language. You know, and, and so I'm going to close it with the F-bomb <laughs> um, and, and we'll leave it there before my language gets even worse because I get passionate about those crappy clients. Um, but thanks again, guys, for, for dialing in and we'll see everyone back on next Friday uh, for Friday Night Live. And uh, Hector, I'm going to hold you to, to being a coach for that book on book club for me, okay? Okay, I'll add a PS, a PS. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Andrew wrapped it, but this is, uh, this is the ending credits of a Marvel movie, you know, where you get this little last piece of thing. Because while you were talking, I was thinking, there are, in fact, crappy clients disguised as good clients. And the ones that look like good clients because they're not haggling, because they're not asking questions, those come back and bite you in the ass because they didn't bring, they didn't address the reservations up front. They didn't talk about their anxiety up front. They said, sure, 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 sure. And then because they seem like such great clients, 
because they were very easy going and not haggling and not asking questions about price. Those are the ones that assume a lot of things, right? Because they don't bring those reservations out into the open. So I just want to give you one warning about that because they are, you're right, there's crappy clients and there's great clients and there's, there's even worse clients. These guys are good clients because they, don't, because they don't address those things up front. So allow people to address those things up front. It's, it's okay. Let people vent. Let people complain about how expensive you are. But, but then address it. And let people yeah. make choices about how they're going to cut down. Right? Because some clients will choose and say, you know what? I'm going to cut down here, here, and there. And choose out of, choose, choose the scope. And they, they can still become good clients. But they brought out what they didn't want to pay for. And you immediately identify what is it that they would pay for. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And yes, you're right. There's some really crappy clients out there. Well said, Hector. Well said. Yeah. Okay. Bye, guys. We'll chat again next week. Bye, guys.